0: Oh hell. Yeah. To the Tag Your It podcast. We're back. Uh, That's right. Yeah, so we didn't have the live cast last week, and that was again because um, we're trying a new, like, just to let you know, we are first and foremost a podcast, and so we've brought in this live element. And so what we wanted to do is just kind of uh, split things up for, you know, little chunks for people that are traveling and all that stuff as they're going, listening to our podcast, hopefully. They can listen to the whole thing on a commute um, instead of having to span a whole time until it's done. So we're kind of playing around with uh, some things on the uh, podcast front to make it uh, more accessible, more easy for you guys um, as a resource. Again, we're again we're trying to figure out the best way to edify the saints in this. So that's why we had the those episodes split up in thirty minutes. But anyway, we're back in the studio. This week, to continue our discussion on
1: total depravity and the pre-sup, what's up mentality tonight. So, yeah. That's right, man. I am uh, glad to be back here. I think it's pretty cool that we can work through a doctrine over a series of a few weeks. I think that, that it's, we've already established why total depravity is important why it is somewhat contrary to what many people are being told. It's contrary to popular opinion. It's the opposite of what we're taught. We're frequently taught by those who are not in Christ that everybody is good, that everybody has a nature that is to do good, and and by nature we do good. But this runs into exact contradiction with what Scripture says. And over and over again, uh, I find myself as I preach going back to Romans 3.10 where it says nobody does good, nobody is righteous. No one is seeking for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can base this doctrine off of that one section of Scripture, but here's the reality. It's not just found in Romans chapter 3. It's found all over. In fact, I would say that it is the presupposition by which all Scripture, uh, in in essence, makes sense. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's why, in my mind, it's such an important thing for us to realize. Um, I think we see the doctrine of total depravity playing out over and over again in our culture when it comes to the culture of death. I mean, particularly, here we have in the United States, right now as we speak, multiple states that are passing legislation to stop the systematic destruction of children in the womb. Mm -hmm. And we have other individuals who are screaming, what a terrible thing that is. What a terrible reality it is. You are violating uh, women's rights to choose. And what we are saying is, well, of course you don't like that. You like the culture of death. I can tell you why you like the culture of death and why you can look at a little baby in the womb, and say, that's not a life. It's the same foundational position that those who were in the Third Reich found themselves in when they looked in the eyes of Jewish people and said, they're not humans. And to add to that, you know, you just put in
0: two views there, but there's a third view, which is of the liberal Christian that has abandoned sola scriptura, and Mm -hmm. so they think that they can autonomously reason um, why there would be justification for abortion and all that stuff, yeah. At the same time, saying that I'm a Christian, that I adhere to the teachings of Christ and all that too, that we have to, so that you know, whenever um, the world sees Christendom, that we are both arguing over the abortion, uh, the abortion debate. Hey, you got a Christian over here saying that it's okay for these reasons, whatever. They still are pro-choice. Why are they pro-choice? Because they are pro-autonomy of man. That's why they look at scripture liberally. Um, because they're, they're putting a standard above the standard to prove the standard. Yes, so, right you on. Know, so there's, uh, there's a multiplicity of things going on in that. And it is based on, again, total depravity. That's why it's important. We need to realize we are not autonomous creatures. We are derivative. We are meant to reflect the character of God. It was given to Adam to make the choice. He didn't make the right choice. And they remember we have to get into the covenantal nature of all this stuff. And so the important thing is, as we pointed out with the uh, Adrian Rogers video, especially the person who posted it, saying it refutes um, total depravity. And remember, he went from Genesis 1, Genesis 3. So we have everything's ideal, everything's perfect and good. Then we went to where sin entered to the world. And then we go back to Genesis 1 to explain how we are today, skipping over Genesis 3. And that's why it's important, because we can't do that. But if you really listen to the argumentation, that's what happens.
1: So essentially what we've done in the previous two podcasts is we have defined total depravity. We have looked at historical... Uh, what I would say, not only a historical Protestant understanding, but a historical church understanding, starting all the way back with Augustine and Pelagius. We've looked also at the Baptist perspective, and finally today in our last podcast, we're kind of uh, coming to a good crystallization of this, mm-hmm. where we're going to take everything that we've done so far, and we're going to apply it to how not only should it impact your apologetic, it should Impact your evangelism as well. It should impact how you engage individuals with a diff- with a different worldview. And so that's one of the things that we strive to do over and over again in the podcast. Is we want what we've said to uh, boil itself down or to work its way down to how do we now put this teaching into application?
0: Yeah, and so that, that's where know, we how are. How then? How then should we live? That's right. Mentality of uh, Francis Schaeffer. Um, but anyway, before we get to that, um, this week is marking a week, um, which is called Pride Week. And so if you are friends with me on Facebook, you've already uh, seen what I take pride in, which is the gospel, um, that God has grace to people, that there's a meaning behind the rainbow, that it's objective and true and, and something that we need to consider. Um, especially, you know, I'd just say maybe from here on out, this week, the first week of June, um, while the world celebrates uh, Gay Pride, we should um, be we should be going Noah Covenant um, Awareness Week uh, on the on the flip side of that, um, because it gets us down to the truth of Scripture. Why is the world the way it is, and how to act out of it? And it totally um, goes into this whole uh, precept: What's up, total depravity um, issue. Um, so um, you want to go into uh, Meme Theology day?
1: Yeah, let's jump yeah. right on into that. Yeah. And one thing that I would say is uh, we are called in Scripture very clearly, First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 31, to boast in the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. We are called in Scripture over and over again not to live lives that are prideful. Um, we should not take pride in ourselves alone. Uh, As it says in Galatians 6 verse 4, our pride should be in Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. So from a Christian perspective, the idea of a pride week just slaps Christian, a biblical Christianity in a consistent way right across the face. And so what I would always tell people to do when they engage individuals who say, don't you celebrate pride week? You can say, I celebrate pride. Proudly, what Jesus Christ has accomplished every day. Why would one want to set aside a week to take pride in something? It says in Isaiah 23, 9 that uh, the Lord Almighty will, of course, bring down those people who are in pride. Um, We have a God who opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble, James 4, verse 6. And, of course, in James 4, verse 10, it says that we should humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And, therefore, for a Christian to pretend that we should uh, crawl under a rock during Pride Week is one of the most crazy things Mm. that has ever happened. Uh, It is one of the most absurd things. No. Pride Week, again, demonstrates what is going to be said uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-20, to 20, where Peter writes, For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Mm-hmm. We must recognize that when we find ourselves in the midst of Pride week. God has given these people over to their sin. They are slaves to sin. It is a culture of death. Again, Mm. research is crazy when it comes to the life expectancy of individuals who engage in this type of lifestyle. No, our hearts Mm. should break for these Mm. people. We should pray fervently that God will humble these people, that God will bring them to repentance or bring them to judgment quickly. Yeah, so so from our Christian end, Um, we do not act like legalists
0: and say that we're superior. Remember, we are all washed sinners. If we are in Christ, we went with the spirit of the age. We went um, following the prince of the air, of the power of the air. And so Paul says that we are washed. And so we can't approach this from a legalistic, hey, you're still in sin and here's my moral high horse. No, you don't have a moral high horse, Christ has the moral high horse. And so as Christians, again, like Dave said, we must be heartbroken. This should break our hearts that the world is this way and that they're not listening as, again, they are speeding down the highway and we're trying to say, hey, hey, you won't stop. You won't stop, but you need to stop. There's a cliff. You're going to go over it. Um, You know, I I could put a car in front of you. You'd come crashing right through me and still go, and it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's why, again, we, we, we can do all we can do. But at the same time, we've got to recognize total depravity unless if the Holy Spirit does the work, that's the way it's going to go. And it's what we all deserve. So, again, we can't we have to approach this from um, a saved attitude. What do we know that we're saved from and what does that demand? Um, So, So one of the little things that I do want to
1: put out real quick before we jump into this meme, because you're going to see a lot of memes like this. We're going to address the fact that it comes from a Christian organization they're not christian by any means yeah and, i mean and this was shared objectively yeah so the, the meme that we're going to look at tonight and i'll put it up on the screen here and i'll try not to leave it up the whole time this time <laughs> anyway. i'm glad that you did leave it up i think that's cool it probably grabbed yeah. some people like what did they <laughs> so yeah. with that said let me let me state this real quick um You are going to find over and over again Christians, people who claim to be Christians, trying to say, well, come on, man, why don't you just let these people, you can live a Christian life and and be an active homosexual. No, runs contrary to scripture. But we do want to say this real quick. If you have questions or comments, or if there's a topic you want us to get to, we invite you to not only, if you've joined us through the watch party, if you've joined us through the podcast, Mm -hmm. or if you've joined us through the live stream, three different functions there. Uh, we invite you to send us questions, to send your feedback, mm-hmm. to allow us to interact with you. We always want that to happen. We, again, are creating this as a means by which to engage individuals, not only with the gospel, but with the reality that Jesus Christ saves people from sins. Yeah. Uh, we have a gracious God who has looked past our sins if Christ stands in the way for us. Yeah. So want to invite you to give us feedback. Tell us uh, if you like the way that we We've split up the podcast itself into two segments. That way we're doing two 30-minute shows rather than a one-hour show. Uh, if you think that's something good, please do that. And again, if you like, please share. Please leave us comments and feedback on iTunes, all good things. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to jump into this? I'm ready to jump in. I, mean, and I see we're having yeah. a few little issues with the live stream, but that Possibly. happens every once in a while. Please don't be turned off by that. We, um, we certainly, certainly do want you to, if you miss something, what we'd love for you to do is to jump back in and uh, uh, listen to us on the podcast. So yeah. with that said, let's jump into this. And I'm glad you put it up there because I don't have to grab it on my. So <laughs> yeah. uh, give so, us a little background. What's going so, on? Anyway, um, I saw a post
0: shared and uh, it was a share of a share kind of a thing from Clackamas United Church of Christ in Milwaukee, Oregon. Um, so if you look at your screen, um, if you can see it, there's the meme. It's got a picture of a guy um, on a street corner. He's a street preacher holding the Bible in the air. He's got three signs says, what would Jesus do? sinner uh, turn back. And another sign that says, repent or burn. And then uh, it's got Jesus passing by him on the sidewalk. Um, there's a sign that says, Pray, pride month parade this way. And Jesus is walking that way on the sidewalk. And he's also holding the rainbow flag. And uh, as he passes by this um, street preacher, that's apparently preaching against homosexuality and all those things that um, are you know LGBTQ plus related? Um, Jesus passes by him, passes by him, and says, "I'll forgive you." Like um, possibly the guy is sinning, um, preaching against these things. So that is uh, for the podcast, folks. That so the first that the thing that
1: is- I want to comment is, um, let's just start with the first sign: repent or burn. Jesus's first words is recorded in Mark chapter one, verse sixteen, where "repent and believe the gospel." Here's yeah. one of the one of the serious problems that any individual who would, again, claim to be Christian and promote the LGBTQ plus agenda. Number one, they have... granted that Jesus is a failure because Jesus does call for repentance. Jesus does state very clearly the order that was established in creation, one man and one wife. Jesus said that that was good. Wait, God said that was good. And that is something that we need to really begin to think on. So the first problem I see is this repent or burn. Jesus says repent or believe the gospel. There is a reality of a conscious eternal hell Mm -hmm. that people need to be warned of. Uh, The sad thing is there's not near enough people who who are standing on the corner doing this. That's one of the first problems that I see. and the hell
0: that we're talking about is the lake of fire, that whenever everything is judged, the uh, Satan and the false prophet get thrown in in there, and then in the same place that they go, that it says in Revelation explicitly that they will be tormented eternally in this lake of fire, and the people that follow them will also be thrown into the same place. Um, so there is that reality, and Paul even uh, expresses this to Timothy on why to preach the gospel. Um, it's the fact that this is coming. Yeah, so this is already by virtue of who God is, and because of man's sin, this is the reality of the case. So it's not because people are lost in, in that sense that we need to save people um, in the way that we kind of do it today. We do our mission because this is coming. And it would have came for us had not we been saved and hadn't heard the gospel. So anyway, so we got that repent or burn. Next sign, you know, sinner turn back. Again, you're going down a path and we're trying to say, hey, stop, stop. Love you, love you. And so you might be taking that as something, um, well, no, you're just being superstitious, whatever you want to do there. But we're saying stop. You're going to go off the edge of a cliff.
1: Further, I'm just going to state this too. The man is standing on the historic position of Orthodox Christianity. It's not for the last 50 years that people have even tried to embrace this idea. It's really important that one understands Christians are called to tell people to repent. But to repent... Again, presupposes that there is sin that can be defined in Scripture. Yeah. So the thing that I would want anyone who would try to affirm the LGBTQ plus lifestyle is: Can God actually define sin? Have yeah. you locked God out outside of creation so far that He cannot even define what is right and what is wrong? Mm-hmm. And. Here's the problem. I would tell you that the majority of, again, disciples of Christ, I would even throw them, the majority of their churches into this category. Number one, they don't believe in a historical Jesus in any means. Number two, they would reject the sufficiency of Scripture. They would reject the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. Likewise, they would reject the inerrancy of Scripture. That would be a laughable position. So Mm -hmm. the reality is that the disciples of Christ have, instead of aligning themselves with historic Christianity, they have gone the way of the world. They have done exactly what Paul promised Timothy would happen, that there would be people who would just be speaking things so that their ears could be tickled. No, the gospel is that we are sinners. We're dead in sin. We are headed the way that it shows Jesus. That's the real crazy thing. The world says, actually, no, no, Jesus isn't there. That's every single one of us. We're running down the street, but we wouldn't even say, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you, again, presupposes that there is something wrong that someone can do to be forgiven. Again, I'd like to know by what standard, Someone would even say that you shouldn't tell people to repent of their sins.
0: Yeah, and, and then, you know, the whole homosexuality issue from Scripture anyway, because basically he is sinning by preaching against this stuff, and Jesus is holding the flag saying, I agree and affirm them, which he does not. And <laughs> the whole of Scripture um, realizes that fact. But, you know, so, you know, let's go, let's go to Christ holding the rainbow flag. What would that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Like, So, I mean, I've seen other people say, you know, Jesus would have gone to the or, uh, pride rally, and I, I would say, you know, I would agree. He would probably go to one. Why? To find the lost sheep. Right. That's why he went to the tax collector. Now, did he affirm the tax collector, or did he say, stop extorting people? So the tax collector was sinning, and Jesus called that out. He said, don't do that anymore. Now, being a tax collector in that sense wasn't bad because Jesus wanted to, told his people whose image is on the coin, it's Caesar's, then pay your taxes, but give to God what is God's right. But you can't say the tax collector is the same as a homosexual. That is totally, again, that's why the progression in Romans 1 is the way it is because you are rejecting the image of God within you and the design of God and, you know, from a from the very start, you went down to a path to where this is what you are doing. This is like a last stage where you've rejected everything that God has ever said and made you in and all that kind of stuff. So,
1: you know, so would Jesus go to a pride parade? Yes. Not the Jesus, again, yeah. not the Jesus that rose the dead in the way that they're presenting a Jesus. The Jesus that they're presenting is not a Jesus who rose from the dead. A Jesus that they're presenting is not the one who inspired Solomon in Proverbs to write fear the Lord, the to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I yeah. hate pride and arrogance, yeah. evil behavior and perverse speech. Yeah. Or Proverbs eleven, 12, eleven two: when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Mm-hmm. God is not one who celebrates the pride of humanity yeah. when they celebrate in their sin.
0: Yeah, but yeah, so again, he would go to one to find the lost people, to tell them that they're in sin and that they need him. To, and so he would end up saving them out of the pride mentality Of this so you know so that's that's the one of the first point so he's going to this pride um, parade he's not going for the same reason as people would probably do that Um, he would probably think for one thing he's saying I'll forgive you to the person on the street corner he'd probably thank them and say well done faithful servant yeah as long as the guy on the street corner is preaching um, from scripture alone and putting that information out there to people um, that's all the that's all this preacher can do And so he wouldn't say, I forgive you. I mean, he would say, I forgive you of all the other sins that you've committed in your life. But this isn't one if you're scripturally presenting information in front of people that need to hear the gospel. And to that, Jesus would say, well done.
1: And then I would say very clearly this church needs to repent because they've only told people, hey, go ahead and sin. It's good. And God's word is pretty clear about those who say that continue sinning. It's good. Uh, God is going to punish them. And so the people who put together this mean the people who uh, decided as a Christian church, quote unquote, to share this. They're not Christian, number one. And number two, because they're telling people to continue on in their sin. God will hold them accountable on judgment day. Yeah. And so, you know, just the last piece I want to put in there, he's holding a rainbow flag. So guess what?
0: Jesus would hold a rainbow flag. You know why? Because it is the Noahic covenant. The thing is, is, and Romans 2 clearly talks about this, the grace of God is meant to lead you to repentance. That's right. So, you know, what we know about the Noahic covenant is that people from their youth go astray and God has made a covenant with mankind through Noah to be good to send the rain, to give us sunshine, to not curse the earth um, as it was after, right after the fall. Um, we see all that stuff. We see the uniformity of nature, um, that God would uphold the universe in a uniform way, that seed time, harvest time, uh, winter cold, or, or whatever, summer cold and, and heat would all have their place until the end of the earth. And that was God's promise um, through Noah to all of mankind. So we all live In the grace of God and this is what we call common grace so this is separated from a salvific grace but every one of us gets the common grace of God and all this was supposed to show you that God is good he will be good to you and you can rest on that promise and it's supposed to lead you to repentance so you don't get to say well you know God's a nice guy and he winks at what I do he still calls you to repentance and That's so right. in this situation, he'd be telling you, you were made in the image of God. I made male. I made female. I made them for a purpose. They're supposed to come together and reflect the relationship. It says in the, in the scripture saying that the marriage relationship shows us how Christ loves us. So I love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. And she submits to me um, as a head. Um, because I am underneath Christ as a head of me and I'm responsible for everything and I'm going to be accountable for everything. So anyway, you know, these kind of memes, they don't really, I mean, they, they'll tell you something. There's, you know, you can kind of take them the way you want them. But, you know, this is out there. This is not just uh, somebody that is um, kind of claiming to be an atheist or agnostic. This is somebody saying, hey, I believe in Christ and this is what Christ would do. And so, unfortunately, no, they are no better than the unbeliever. They're no better than the atheist or the agnostic or anybody else because they're all in the same view of unbelief because they're not believing God and His Word. That's right. So, but yeah. So anyway, like I said, this would be a fitting meme. It's the irony of the rainbow um, because they have chosen a symbol that has been around forever um, because God, you know, remember it didn't rain until the flood. Then after the flood, there's the rainbow, and that was a sign that God has given us that he would not destroy it by a flood anymore, that he was giving us grace. And so it's just really ironic um, being the symbol that, uh, you know, the pride uses. um, And then you read Romans 1, um, and and you see what the uh, continuing sin of a person will lead them to, and God hands them over to that to where he doesn't have grace anymore. And he, God gets to choose whenever
1: He stops. That's right. Well, man, I think we yeah. did a good job so of covering yeah. that. I'm glad so that you enjoy. were able to put it up there and they could see it while we did it. Um, so here's the deal. If you do find memes like this and uh, or if you do find commentary like this and allow us to interact with it, we want to always encourage you yeah. to do that. And, of course, I want to invite you very, very seriously to engage us either on the live feed or on the watch party or just send us a message through Facebook. We'd love to interact. We'd love to hear about what your thoughts are. Maybe there's some concepts about it that we missed. But again, we always want to bring it back to showing that, no, no, Jesus doesn't just walk by the person who's calling others to repentance. Jesus has engaged that man. Here's the reality. The true Jesus has entered into that man's life through the Holy Spirit and saved him because he would have been celebrating his prideful sin if jesus christ had not saved him from it and that does lead you to a real hell that does lead you to a real destruction again you'll find those same folks who are sharing this meme to be people who reject scripture they Mm. cut out everything that they don't like and guess what along with that comes a ability to define sin and an ability for god to punish sin But here's the reality. God did punish sin in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and he saved those who will but repent and believe. And yes, that man is right. Repent or burn. Um, That is not a verse in Scripture. That is, of course, cutting of a few verses, but Jesus does say, Mark 1, 16, repent and believe the gospel. And that brings us back to total depravity. We are born into a world that is, again, completely polluted by sin, and we are born with with, with polluted minds, minds that have been been affected by sin, and minds that don't allow us to process the amazing reality uh, of of, of creation that God has given as a testimony of himself. And, of course, it points us back to him. So, real quick, brief review as we jump back into the application of apologetics. Uh, Give us a good uh, definition, real quick, Adam, of total depravity. Well, again, like I said earlier, um,
0: we're just using uh, what uh, Scott Oliphant has in his Covenantal Apologetics book on page 52. In chapter 1, he said um, that all of a man is affected by sin. That is, total depravity. And total, the person is affected by sin. But also affirming that man is not as bad as he could be, which would be absolute depravity. So, um, basically, we still bear the image of God. It cannot be eradicated. Um, God set in Adam himself was the law. And Adam knew consciously what that law was. He sinned against that. um, And because of that, um, the image has been marred, but it is still there. And so, we still have a conscience. We still know these things, and this is where Romans then comes into play, that from creation, everything about God has been perceived as eternal power um, and all that stuff, and it's clear. It's clear to mankind. And so, again, how does total depravity now play into apologetics? How do we approach people? That's what we want to get into on the show tonight.
1: Um, what A.W. Pink says in Total Depravity of Man, which is a great book, free to anyone. Uh, All you have to do is search it. You can find the PDF. I've printed off the PDF, but you can add it to your device if you'd rather add it to your device. But uh, I love what uh, A.W. Pink puts here. He says uh, about man, uh, the doctrine of total depravity is that man is a ruined creature as a result of his apostasy from God. This requires that we consider first Man in his original state, that we may perceive his folly in so lightly valuing it, and that we may form a better conception of the vastness and the vileness of his downward plunge, for that only can be guarded as we learn what he fell from as well as into In other words, we recognize within the doctrine of total depravity that man is a moral agent, that God put man into the garden as a moral agent, and therefore he was a free moral agent, and man chose sin, and as a result of that immoral action, God punished the federal head, which is Adam, and that curse is binding upon all humanity. And of course, that... Brings us back to this covenantal idea that either we are in sin, we are born, of course, into the depravity of man. Uh, We are born into Adam's depravity. Sorry about that. I didn't get it uh, silenced. We are born into and under the curse of Adam, and we must be released from that. Give me a real quick, brief uh, overview of the historical understanding of total depravity. I know we touched on based on this before. Yeah, but yeah, we talked about just in about, case someone um, just gets
0: this. I mean, uh, you you go back to at least Reformation history. I mean, you get it to you you can get to it from um, Augustine, you know, Augustine, and the plagians the the contra- the Plagian controversy, um, which then takes you to. Uh, the Reformation. So then we've got it written in the uh, Westminster Confession, the Savoy Declaration, the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Um, So we have it throughout history and not, I mean, it's in the scriptures and that's where we go. That's Sola Scriptura. But as we go down through history, it was um, in there until you really get to like 1963 in the Baptist world where they kind of made that language a little bit more lenient, not as hardcore as that the person is corrupted. It's that we are born into an environment inclined to sin versus the person being corrupted. And so, again, that's why it's important in Baptist life to discuss uh, total depravity with folks because they, again, will end up going from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, back to Genesis 1, and then get to you and me.
1: Every part of the scriptures has much to say on the awful state of degradation and slavery into which the fall has brought man. Uh, Again, we want to recognize that Baptists have believed this. Historically, the church has believed this. They've gotten away from it, and when we get away from it, that, of course is a leap away from not only the sufficiency of Scripture, but the clarity of Scripture and, of course, a rejection of, of Toda scriptura, scriptura or Sola yeah. Scriptura. So now that brings us down to why we want to get this right. Again, we are speaking as uh, individuals who are striving to better ourselves as apologists and as evangelists. And so our goal always on the podcast is to provide deep doctrinal teaching that will allow one to be ready to defend the faith. But before we jump into that, do we want to take a break or just go ahead and go on through? I apologize on that. Well, if we take a break, uh, we just gave them all
0: that stuff to wait a week. I know. We're not (laughs) going to do that. (laughs) So anyway, let's just continue on because... We'll just uh, put this one out there all the Yeah, I, I agree. I think would, that's anyway. great.
1: I think that's right. We're going to be here next week anyway, yeah, so, so it'll, it'll, it'll be good. Yeah,
0: so we don't have to do our little play this week.
1: Anyway. We're still we getting a like podcast out every week just like yeah. once. See, look at this. Sorry,
0: uh, Jeremiah, that you have an hour, but we love you and we know you love us. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so let's go on to it. I mean, so whenever we are uh, defending the faith, whenever we have to go up to somebody and uh, they are saying that God doesn't exist, um, this is all a lie, all that kind of stuff, you know, what do we do as presuppositionalists? I mean, our our normal uh, rebel yell is by what standard? <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um, on. Um, but uh, whenever we are confronted with these things, how does total depravity interplay? And it's going to be the fact that what does Romans 1 say? Um, and what can as you, as a presuppositionalist, as a Christian that gets all his information from the Deanustas scriptures, the God-breathed scriptures, the one that knows everything, that created everything, um, what do we know? Atheists don't exist. Uh, agnostics don't exist because they know. So we go to Romans. And those so who have
1: that. not accepted the creator entered into creation to redeem Mm -hmm. humanity who could not redeem themselves, those individuals who suppress that truth through various other religions, likewise, are suppressing that truth of the true God who has spoken clearly, who has transcended into his own creation because we could not come to him on our own. Paul says so clearly in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do is what I keep on doing. Again, Paul is pointing out to that depravity that exists. Even in a redeemed humanity, we're still impacted by the vileness of the fall, and we can't get away from that. Mm -hmm. So... In that, in
0: that vein, you know, so how do we do it? We yeah. Whenever they say, I don't know that God exists or that God doesn't exist, how do we approach them? So basically it gets into the what, what do you do rationally? We're talking about logic here. We're talking about logically and rationally talking to somebody. Do you accept it as true then as a Christian that is informed by the all-knowing God who has spoken? Whenever somebody says, I don't know that God exists or I don't believe, That he doesn't exist, what do you tell them? Do you try to reason with them to get them there? Or do you just go ahead and say, no, you know, and this is how you prove it. And so, you know, whenever we're talking about classical apologetics, we always use arguments from out there, but the presuppositional method is what's in here.
1: Already established. Yeah, what do you know
0: already? And so this is, you know, even in Romans 2 talks about he's talking to the Jews and he's saying that these people that are Gentiles or Greeks. Whenever they do something good, really saying there, that's a recognition of what's already inside them. They have, they know this law. They, they have a conscience and it'll either accuse them or excuse them. So it wasn't just the letter of the law that was written down on tablets of stone. It's the letter of law that is still contained in the image bearer that he knows. And so again, they know God, um, So they can't say they don't, and they can't say they don't believe that he exists or that he doesn't exist because he does. And so is it rational for you as a Christian then to accept their profession and and go on with it? And I don't think, I don't find it rational knowing that God has spoken and has given me this information. So I don't know this because I've come to the conclusion autonomously that you know God. I have been revealed it, and I have to go from there. If I were to get off that foundation, I would be a liar. So I cannot um, do apologetics that way.
1: So for me, when I began understanding the doctrine of total depravity, I realized first and foremost foremost, that man can't save himself. Mm -hmm. I realized that first and foremost, I have to give all credit for salvation to God. Now, that impacts the way that I engage people in a one-on-one evangelistic response, right? It's really clear, and and I just think it's it's beautiful. In John chapter 3, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus in the quiet of the night, one-on-one, Nicodemus says, Man, we know all the things that you do. You have to come from God. But guess what Nicodemus wouldn't do? And guess what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wouldn't do? Even though they knew that he undoubtedly came from God. They couldn't change their own hearts. So the very first thing that I'm always drawn to a great deal of comfort in is in John chapter uh, 6, where Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. I recognize first and foremost, while God still calls me to winsomely engage the person who's totally depraved, when God calls me to employ the best persuasive arguments that I possibly can, I must first and foremost go to God, recognizing that He has spoken and that He is sovereign. Total depravity impacts me and the way that I apply total depravity is it encourages me that God would actually use someone that He had once saved to speak the gospel to other people. So first and foremost, I also recognize I don't have to depend upon myself. Matthew chapter 10 verses 19 to 20, Jesus makes it very clear that when people in situations where you wouldn't to have to testify, we don't have to rely on the elephant's name. But we have a vast, vast freedom between presuppositional apologetics and classical apologetics. I didn't have to come to the table with every good argument that would try to prove the resurrection of Christ. I didn't have to come with the complexity of the eye. I didn't have to come knowing physics. All I had to do was coming with what Jesus gave me in His Word. So the first and foremost application of the doctrine of total depravity is to recognize that it doesn't come from you. It comes yeah. from Jesus Christ. And that's the thing, you know, with the presuppositional
0: apologetic style, again, whenever you mentioned John 6, you know, they, they came to him going, what do we need to be doing to do the work of God? And Jesus himself did not answer the fool according to this folly and become like them. He said, no, this is the work of God. And so Jesus was living by his own principles Yes, that he gave to Solomon. Because remember, the New Testament reveals that Jesus is the one that saved Egypt out of its slavery. So Jesus is God, right? And so he's living by his own principles as God, and so he doesn't answer the fool according to his folly. And so you know, when it comes to total depravity, I I really think because uh, knowing that they're totally depraved, they're going to tell you that they don't care. But it's motivating, and I can find assurance in the fact that. They know that they're totally depraved. They know they're sinful, and no matter what kind of front they put up, and you might be totally like, I don't think I got to them. They might hit their pill- their head's going to hit the pillar. and they're and you already going to know that they're going to be fighting with something. Now, is it sufficient, uh, or you know, is what is sufficient for you to rate success? Well, the success rate belongs to God anyway. Stop. Let's go preach the gospel. Don't worry about the results because that's all in God's hands. Um, but go out and preach the gospel. But you're going to go into it knowing that whenever you preach the gospel to them, it will shape them to the core. And so whenever we get into, uh, you know, the whole total depravity thing, um, we have uh, covenantal apologetics. Again, there's uh, two, um, he gives us 10 tenets in his book of, of the covenantal or presuppositional method. And um, so out of 10, we've got two here to talk about. So, you know, the whole depravity. Um, so he, In uh, Tenet 8, he says, Suppression of the truth, like the depravity of sin, is total, but not absolute. Thus, every unbelieving position will necessarily have within it ideas, concepts, notions, and the like that it has taken and wrenched from their true Christian context. So, knowing about total depravity, you're going to know that the gospel is going to push their buttons. You know that the gospel is going to, and I think he also uses the uh, analogy of a beach ball. So everybody has the truth in their hands and they're shoving it underwater. But you know a ball is also pushing up. And whenever you preach the gospel and those truths get hit upon, it's trying to push that ball up and they're trying to invent ways to keep that ball down. And what you're wanting to do is hopefully preach the gospel through them. God uses you as a means to, and then sends the Holy Spirit to push that ball out of the water, and they can't do anything but come to Christ um, for salvation. And so, right. so you know, knowing that, knowing about total depravity, again, I think definitely gives you, as an apologist, an assurance that you are doing what
1: God has sent you That's to right. do. That's right. I'm reminded over and over again of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Here's one of the things that I believe is really key and crucial. When we recognize theologically that man is dead in his sin and trespasses, that man is left to his own devices, not just on a highway to hell, he is pressing the accelerator down as hard as he possibly can we recognize that it's only God's word that can change that person. It's not the complexity of the eye. It's yeah. not an argument for the resurrection. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ saves sinners. And again, we point out within the again, within the burden that we're placed in in God's world of total depravity, we can demonstrate for that person who is suppressing the truth all the areas in which they are suppressing the truth. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's one of the key and most impactful elements within the doctrine of total depravity. We want to get this right because, number one, it does demonstrate how amazing God's grace is. Number two, it gives us a means by which to call out man's depraved nature. Because man doesn't... uh, man. Man is an image bearer of God and there are areas within their life that has not been totally and completely won over by sin. And by that I mean man can still do good. There can still be moral people in hell. There are a lot of moral people in hell. Why were they moral? Because they lived in God's world. Because they were image bearers and therefore we recognize the image bearer elements within each human being. We point them out and then use them to point them back to the gospel. And again, uh, for me, when it comes to presuppositional apologetics, the first thing that I will always go to is any arbitrary action or inconsistent action of the unbeliever. Let's point real quick to all those individuals who are in Pride Week. And again, let me just state this. I do not want to speak condescending of any of those who are walking in Pride parades. But why would one walk in a pride parade if we are simply space dust?
0: Again, yeah, so you have that. There is no meaning to what you do. And so if this is evolved protoplasm, just our brains are fizzing based on whatever is stimulating it to fizz and somehow has resulted evolutionarily to lead to a group of people going, I don't like that it's wrong to where you let us have rights to do this. It's just a bunch of brain barf going off and in contradiction to each other, right? So why does it even matter? And so that's why, you know, you have to go into their worldview only. Don't bring in your principles. Just look at their worldview and show them this is how you're suppressing the truth. Here's where it ends up. And then you come go, but here's the Christian justification. Um, here's how it's objective. It comes from the law of God. He spoke it because it's Him, and you get it to it from there. So...
1: Pride Week yeah. is based upon, and if anyone wants to try to grab me and say, oh, you don't know anything about homosexual activity, actually I've worked with a, uh, uh, an auto Uh, on homosexuality. In fact, uh, it's called uh, Coming Out of the Closet, which was a book that I uh, worked with uh, when I worked with the publisher's Left Coast Press. Uh, And, of course, I have read a great deal about people being closeted homosexuals and coming out of the closet and how incredibly great that is. Look, here's the issue. We have these pride praise because people think, I was once oppressed, I was once belittled, and I was once um, dehumanized. So now I'm going to celebrate who I am in my sin and I am out and I will no longer be oppressed and I will no longer be dehumanized. And so why, why
0: is this three right there? You just said it. Why is just three important? They pointed fingers at each other. I've been oppressed. They've done this to me. They've done this to me. I want to do this. Stop pointing fingers. And guess what? If somebody has dehumanized you and not come to you going, you are an image bearer of God. Now, if that's oppressive, I'm sorry, I can't do anything different. It is oppressive. Uh, but it's one of those things of if you've been oppressed by people and they dehumanize you and they haven't given you the gospel that humanizes you, then that's, what, that's their sin. But you can't allow their sin. To allow you to sin. Those in sin
1: are oppressed. They've got that right. You're right. You were Mm -hmm. oppressed. You were oppressed and you're still oppressed by God. But you weren't oppressed. You just think you're not. The wrath of God dwells upon you. You just think that you have freed yourself. No, no, you've enslaved yourself and God has given you over. Romans chapter 1. And then you begin to say, why does it even matter that one be oppressed? Well, I don't like it. What do you mean you don't like being oppressed? If there are no moral absolute standards, or if there is no value and dignity within humanity, if you are not an image bearer, then oppression means nothing. Yeah. Therefore, what you're doing is futile.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, they can't even live in their own worldview because evolution would suggest that there would be a power struggle and that some people go away. And what if the these people over here that are against homosexuality rise up and power over the homosexuals? That's just evolution. So you don't even so, like your own worldview that you have to um, presuppose to get where you want in that sense. So you don't like power struggle. Then why do you like the ideas of evolution that you have like power struggle is a necessary thing to get to the next
1: step? So let me not like I don't want to yeah. completely try to jump you off course or anything. Yeah. But like we've demonstrated in my mind very clearly mm-hmm. like we can see this oppression of truth all yeah. around us. We can call it out from you know here with a microphone and just looking at each other. What does it look like in actual conversations with the with a transgender person, with a homosexual person, with just the atheist like what does it look like for you when you recognize the impact of total depravity on a human being's mind and then you engage them? Does that make yeah. sense? Well, yeah, I mean my ethos on that. Would be, well, for one, I've been saved from sin, so I'm going to approach
0: this person um, as a fellow sinner. I'm not going to be like the moral majority Mm. right person they want. Let me just stop right there. i got to stop
1: right there. When we fully embrace what it means to be totally depraved, because that's what Scripture says, we're submitting to God's Word. We have now knocked down a barrier that I somehow figured it out, that I was somehow the linchpin, and I have now equalized the playing field. So if you don't have a good doctrine of total depravity, you have no foundational Mm -hmm. same position to set on with the person who is still lost in sin. Do you see what I'm saying? To
0: actually do something selflessly instead of selfishly. Yes. So if you stay in legalism, you're going to do it selfishly because look at me, I'm superior, I'm awesome, and now I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. We go, no, we're all wrong. That's right. And again, this is where you feel heartbroken because God has allowed you out of your sin, but not this other person. Now God gets to have grace on who he has grace and mercy who he has mercy because they don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but we get to approach it from that attitude that I don't know who those people are. So I go up to them and I go, I'm going to use this opportunity. They're they're in this sort of manifestation of sin, and I want to speak the gospel into that as somebody that's had his own sin.
1: So we want to yeah. take what the non-believer believes about reality, yeah. and reframe it yeah. and actually frame it correctly yeah. into what God says, and that's pretty similar yeah. to and what. And so you know, this Oliver is what yeah he, he talks
0: about, like you know how uh, somebody can know that uh, two plus two equals four inherently but the very fact that he would hold to that truth would be, that would be independent of God's creating and sustaining activity means that he does not know what the truth is as it really is. And so these people know some truth, but they don't know the truth as it really is, and that's why the gospel is so important, because and, and the Word of God is so important. Instead of going into some common ground philosophy, we need to go, here's what God has said, um, here's the reality of the case. This is what God created. This is how he created it. Um, you're a totally depraved sinner. You have not recognized that God didn't create the world this way, and we, and we but he allowed us to make it this way. And it's from actions like I've done in the past and been forgiven from and actions that you're doing right now that are making this creation even worse and worse and worse and worse. And so... Uh, again, they, they know the truth, but they don't know how it really is. And so instead of giving them that outside philosophy, you give them the scriptures and tell them how it really is. And so that, that's the case. You know, they're going to know one plus one equals two, but not the reality of case of why and how why God, why, why there's mathematics and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, why does this person exist? Why are they having these issues of being confused about their gender and all that kind of stuff? Well, they're being confused because they know within them that they are who they are and they're acting against that um, because they're in rebellion. And then they're you know figuring out rescuing devices and all that kind of stuff because their apologists say they're inventors of
1: evil. The doctrine of total depravity, then, when we look at it as a foundation for engaging a lost world, puts us on a level playing field and saying that, no, no, I I am no better than you, but God's grace changed me, and it can change you, it can breathe new life into you. Mm-hmm. The things that you're propagating, however, fall apart because of the worldview on which you stand. Yeah. And I saw that because of God's grace. Now, let me demonstrate for you how you cannot live consistently. Yeah. That makes sense, pretty I mean, much. Yeah, I hope yeah. I got that
0: and so that leads us to the, you know, the next ten, number nine. It says the true covenantal knowledge of God and man, together with God's universal mercy, allows for persuasion and apologetics. And then it goes down to say every fact and experiences what it is by virtue of the covenantal all-controlling plan and purpose of God. So those sort of three relate to um, this issue because they're totally depraved and not absolutely depraved, um, the fact is, um, if we consider total depravity, we're, you know if you're talking about line of argumentation and stuff, you might see it as, well, then what I talk to the person about. It seems like they're, that we're, we, we come from two completely different worldviews when we're talking, and that we'll just be talking past each other because we don't have the same definitions, we don't have all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, what point of contact do we have? We don't have... Uh, point of contact in the cosmological argument or the design argument and all that stuff. We do not have the same scientific presuppositions that we have to do to do science. That's right. Um, but we need to expose them that they are image bearers of God. Again, that is the point of contact. That's Bantill, that's Bonson, and that's the presuppositional approach is that that's the point of contact. They know God exists. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And we need to give them God's truth because God's truth is reality as it really is. And we need to do that in a gentle and respectful way as we approach it, approaching them as human beings, not not this monster, um, but they are human beings. They are image bearers. And there's a chasm between you and them that you do not want to be there. And that chasm is only fixed by Christ, not the irreducible complexity of the eye, but only by the gospel can there be a bridge that brings you and the other person together as brothers.
1: So total depravity demonstrates that, guess what, someone's mind is not going to be persuaded outside Mm -hmm. of the act of God. Yes. Further, it's the Word of God that changes that person, not the best argument.
0: Yeah, so again, another motivating factor right there is the fact that you can totally stink and again Moses couldn't speak that well Paul even complained about himself but God uses the weak things to shame the wise and he will use your weaknesses to show his glory to the world so it's motivating that you can totally like feel like you can totally feel like I screwed that last interaction up it's not about you so you know it's not about you you did what you knew um, from this, if you, as long as you it's from the scriptures and you're doing it, that's that's all you need to That's a faithful servant, and then you continue to study. Don't let that get you down and hey, oh, I'm not a good apologist. No, no, you keep striving, or hey, I'm that not a word. good evangelist, or yep. hey, I'm not good at no, sharing no. the gospel. You do what you do, God has put you in the place that He wants you to be content with at the moment that you're there. You give them the knowledge you know, you talk, you love them, you treat them as the image bearer they are. And uh, you speak the gospel to them, and you then have to trust the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. And Because remember, it's the gospel that is the power of salvation for those who believe, not
1: your arguments. love what Pink says. I know we're coming close to our end, but Pink yeah. says this in Total Depravity. The spiritual blindness in the mind of the natural man not only disables him to make the first discovery of the things of God, Even when they are published and sat before his eyes, as in the word of truth, he cannot discern them. Every notion he may form of them are this, and it is their desire, and the thoughts he has of them are the very reverse of what they actually are. The doctrine of total depravity is so important for us. Number one, it should impact the way we discipline our children, because we don't see them as good. Even the atheist doesn't see their children as naturally good. They might say so all the time, but they know that they don't have to teach their kid how to hit the cat. They teach their kid how to pet the cat. And as Bodhi Bachman says, every little kid, if you took something away from them, they would do everything they could to kill you if they had the strength and the ability to do so. But likewise, it should also impact the way we see civil government. In other words, if we believe human beings are genuinely good, they're really not sinful. They really don't... Uh, they really aren't as hateful as the Bible describes them, then the government's not going to ever put any accountability on humanity. Also, it should impact the way we see mental illness. Uh, In other words, people don't just need a pill to make themselves feel better. They need the gospel to get better. Finally, we need to be recognizing that the total depravity of man, and as we've spent most of our time on today, it should impact the way that we understand that people will hear the gospel, that people will receive the gospel, and people will respond to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it puts all the motivation on Jesus Christ That's... and the
0: work that he continues to do. So remember, Acts only started, it started by saying in Luke that he only spoke of what Christ began to do and teach. And we see Acts, how he continues, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Um, Many different names there, but it's the the same person. And uh, Christ is still going to be doing that until he comes back and grabs his church. And so that's what you rest your apologetic on. That's what you rest your hopes. That's the hope that lies within you that you give an answer for.
1: The gospel presentation in an apologetic situation, if we really believe the doctrine of total depravity is not going to rest on our ability to put together the most persuasive argument. It's going to rest in far more than that.
0: Yeah.
1: So, we yeah. don't preach the gospel because we don't believe the gospel. And the gospel is that we're dead and Christ saved us. Yeah. So I hope that you guys... Man, i mean, had so uh, much fun th- talking about th- th- this. been great that I mean, yeah, we're
0: at that last little
1: minute. I hope I've done a good job of preparing. I've had a lot of fun know. doing this. This has been a been fun great. topic Three, we could have done four, Uh, but man, that was really good.
0: If you want more Total Depravity, let us know, and if there's anything that you feel that we didn't answer fully or give enough information, if uh, you other apologists out there say, hey, you missed something, you need to talk about this, please uh, let us know. Um, We are finite human beings that still have... Um, sin in our lives. Uh, we still miss things. And so we need the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ to uh, help us out. And, and what do we do in our ministry? You know, this is uh, not just our own little autonomous thing, but, uh, you know, this rests on the fact that God is, that Christ is building his church and all that kind of stuff, too. So um, we hope that uh, this, again, has been a, a good resource as far as why we do the apologetic the way that we do it. Um, And then hopefully you've seen that it is based completely on scripture alone, dependent on God and for his glory alone. So,
1: amen. Yeah. Uh, Exciting things coming up this summer. We will have a uh, special guest where we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, an individual who is at one time a uh, new age. Uh, okay. Believer who is now converted to Christianity. Uh, that'll be on the seventeenth. We do have our first debate of our little fall debate series. Yes. All the way, it's it's ready. August, right? Holy, yeah, that's gonna be quick. August and then September, and then, I gotta get and then on October, my mind. and hey, everything <laughs> has been really. I mean, we are solid. We will have our debate on, I believe, October seventh. Yeah. Location's MSU, yeah. still not 100% so okay. on MSU, but that's one possibility. And guess what? Be Civil Be heard is going to live stream it for us. Sweet. So pretty exciting we'll stuff. There. So, yeah, I wanted to throw all those things out there. Um, yeah.
0: Still got a lot of cool stuff coming up, but we've got, you know,
1: in the future, but in the more near future, we
0: still have some more great content coming up um, for you guys. But, guys, thank you, guys, as always, for showing up live, for commenting and all that stuff. And everybody that downloads this, I want to say a thank you to you for downloading it. We've been seeing a lot more uptick in uh, uploads yeah. as far as our podcast goes. So I just want to say thank you. Um, and hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Um, and again, give us content if we if you need if you have a question if there's a topic that we can touch because you're not the only one with that question either. Yeah, please, so please we, give us the
1: questions that we can deal with. Yeah, and I actually do have there. a good question. Yeah. And I'll, we'll talk yeah. about it a little bit later. I was going to cool. say someone pointed it out for me. I think cool. it'll be pretty cool. Well, or so I roll. think we can answer it. So, well, yeah. with
0: that said, we are we are an hour in, and we are going to cut the cord for the evening. So again, we hope we've been edifying to you guys and uh, yeah, that's the whole goal of this podcast. So you, with the Taguary podcast, I'm Ray Ray and I am Dave and Sole,
1: Deo of Gloria.